Hello and welcome to Right Care Baptist. Today we're going to be talking about the changes coming to ENM coding starting in January 2021. And we have on the show Kim Danny Hauer and Jeannie Dean, who are experts on these coming changes. Can both of y'all just introduce yourselves and, and tell us a little bit about your background? Okay, well, I'm Kim Datinghauer, and I'm the Corporate Compliance Officer, and my role is to make sure that we're compliant or follow all the rules, regulations, and laws that are out there for our highly regulated industry that we work in, as healthcare is one of the most strictly regulated in the country. Day to day, you never know what we're going to have. Thank you. And, and Jeannie? I'm Jeannie Dean. I'm the Director of Coding and HIM. And I oversee all of the coding, um, the auditing, the education, and work closely with um, Tim with compliance. Great. But it's great to have both of you on. Um, this is a kind of a, a confusing topic to a lot of us. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on right now in the world with COVID and all these other regulatory changes that we've been talking about. So it's great to have this out there um, for our physicians and, and providers so they can understand kind of what, what they should be looking for. Um, but Kim, can you just briefly describe what are the major changes that are coming and when are they coming? Well, they're coming January 1st, 2021. The CMS and the American Medical Association got together and said the evaluation and management codes are not working. We've had them for 25 years. They've gotten too burdensome. So AMA, we want, CMA said, AMA, we want you to come up with the best way to code these claims for outpatient services and office visits. So since it's been 1995 since they were last updated, it's, they're due. And the major, two major things are they're going to really just look at your medical decision-making or the time you spent to decide and determine what level of code you actually performed. Okay, and I know we're gonna get into the specifics here in a little bit, but is this affecting outpatient only or is inpatient included with this? This is just outpatient and office visits at this time. They're still up in the air. This doesn't include like emergency room or things like that, but it's, it's all your office visits. It's all your outpatient department type clinic visits that you might perform. So those are, it's it's not narrow, but it's those evaluation and management codes. Okay. And what exactly has changed and what things are gonna be staying the same? Well, they're getting rid of, the one thing they're gonna focus on is for the major decision, medical decision-making is it, it is going to be, you no longer have to do the history document certain elements of the history in order to reach the level of service you feel is appropriate. You'll only need to document what's medically necessary or a medical pro medically appropriate history and exam. Gotcha. So you meant, and so that may mean you don't have to lump in the review of systems and all of the elements of the physical exam anymore. Is that what I've heard? That's correct. Wouldn't you agree, uh, Jeannie? Yeah, when it comes to what is a medically appropriate history and exam, that's up to the provider's discretion. And it's basically what is needed to help the provider determine um, the diagnosis and the plan of care for the patient. 
But they do not have to worry about, they have to have this many elements in this section and, you know, complete review systems or complete exam. Okay, so what I had heard was really you're going to be documenting based on medical decision making or time based. And I don't think a lot of people have documented based on their time. Can either one of you describe what that means? Um, you know, if I wanted to, instead of documenting, you know, complex medical decision making patient, I wanted to document based on the time I spent with the patient, what all does that encompass? So the time is going to be. Current guidelines, if you're going to code something based on time, then greater than 50% of your visit needs to be sent on counseling and coordinating care. The new guidelines will be total time spent on the day of the encounter, and that can be any face-to-face -face or non-face-to-face -face time that the physician um, spends uh, either preparing for to see the patient, uh, looking through uh, records, documenting in the EHR, the time that they're spending on doing the medically appropriate exam and evaluation, ordering tests, if they have to speak to other providers. So basically, any time that they are having to spend for that patient's care, for that visit, can be counted as total time spent for the patient that day. And that is what they can document and state, they would state something like, I've spent 30 minutes reviewing the patient's diagnostic test, seeing the patient, talking with the uh, visiting nurse and documenting in the medical record. That to determine your level. And that all has to be done on the day of service of the patient. So if you spend time the day before pre-writing your note, looking through records, that time doesn't count, right? Correct. It must be the day of the encounter. And then if... Can I, and you can, can't use just your staff. You, it has to be like a nurse practitioner or a PA or an NP. It has to be another provider who could deal. Correct. So Clinical staff time does not count. Okay. So it doesn't matter what the nurse is doing, checking them in. Can you talk about the the codes to use based on the time. So if you had, if you were spending 30 minutes on a new patient, what sort of code would you be able to bill versus if you're spending you know, 30 minutes on an established patient? So um, there's a time frame for each code. So a level three for new patient 99203 would be 30 to 44 mm -hmm. minutes. But keep in mind, you wouldn't want to put that time range. You always want to be as specific as possible with your time. And if you were spending 30 minutes on an established patient, that would be a 99214. So, Jeannie, let me ask you. Hey, it's Henry Sullivan. Jeannie, I'm, I'm sorry to be getting the recording just a little bit late. So, Jeannie, let me ask you a question. So many clinicians, especially for a new patient, will want to, and new patients appreciate this, will want to have, say, an interview in the provider's office, a physician's office, and kind of go over the, the much of the history, past medical history, review of systems, et cetera, family history, there while the patient is talking to you uh, clothed. Uh, and uh, not infrequently, then you will escort the patient to an exam room, and while they're changing, 
just to make efficient use of your time, you may jump into an exam room next door and see a 99213, or a very short, quick visit while the, while the patient uh, in, in the, the new patient is, is getting changed and ready for you to come in and have a more extended physical examination. So how then do you capture that time uh, in, in aggregate? And then before you answer that, I have a follow-up. One more piece to this is a lot of physicians will then choose to do their, their documentation of that event or some wrap-up of that day's event, either um, not immediately following that, that patient visit perhaps, but at a break time or at the end of the day. How then do we capture time when it's broken up into two, maybe three fragments like that? So that will be up to the provider. You will have to, um, you will be responsible for keeping track of that time, which is a very good reason an example of why I do not think that the majority of the visits should be based on time. Um, because it, you know, you could lose track of time or run into problems with time overlapping or billing for more time than what you were scheduled that day. So with billing on time, you would have, if you're not doing it all together, you would have to find a way to keep track of that. That makes sense to me. And, you know, I can think of, you know, a couple of cases where I may want to bill based on time versus medical decision making. You know, if it's a very simple case, a very simple patient, uh, maybe it's a yearly follow up or something like that. But they're the patient that keeps you in the room forever and uh, won't let you get out of the room. And so it ends up taking a lot more time than you would normally use for that particular type of patient. I could see that maybe being an example of when you would want to do this or if it was a really um, or if it was a new patient that came with a lot of medical records that you needed to review, um, I, I don't know, you know, if using that, that time spent reviewing those records uh, would be beneficial in, in capturing that new patient. Any thoughts on that? I think those are two good examples of when um, it would be appropriate to use time. And this is Kim. And I'd like to say that you do want to be careful too if you use a lot, if you use time when you might want to, if you were only using time throughout the day, you would not want to give anyone the perception that you're filling so many, it would, you don't want to have more patients in a day by time than you were, would be physically able to see because the government, payers will look at that. And I don't blame them, it's a great, it's a great analytics to look at and say, could this person have physically done this during this time? So for a, a level five patient, level five established patient using time, you would need to spend about 40 to 54 minutes on that patient. You know, and, and that includes all, you know, not just the exam room visit, which may only be 15 minutes, um, but all the other things you'd have to do in the chart for that. So if you we're going to do that for every patient that day, and that's close to almost an hour per patient. You, you clearly exhaust all the hours in the day uh, using that. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, and we would we would actually look at that at the time I was there many years ago to see if that was a was it physically possible. So 
I do know it's done that way. Keep in mind, medical necessity still plays in these. So, for the most, let's just say, for instance, family medicine. They wouldn't normally bill a lot of 99215s. So, with this new method, if all of a sudden your bell curve moves to where now you have a large increase in 99215s, um, they'll, they'll catch that and they'll ask questions about that. Because it also has to go by your diagnosis, and that's where the medical necessity plays in. So if you have four patients that you've built in 99215, diagnoses of like bronchitis or pneumonia, um, allergic reaction, you know, so they're going to look at that and they're going to see, okay, prove to me based on the diagnosis that you diagnosed this patient with, why it took you an hour on each of these patients. Okay, so, so. so it's not just time you spend with that patient. So that example I gave of the simple case, but they were they kept you in the room because they had a lot of questions. You couldn't bill a five for that because they're not complex enough? You could on cases that you've had to spend a, a lot of time explaining the care or their condition, but I'm saying you wouldn't want to use that a lot because you are going to have cases to where the patients have a lot of questions. Um, maybe you're switching their medications that wouldn't be a big deal for normal patients, but maybe this patient's older and you have to explain more. So you are going to have cases like that, but you would be able to prove that because it would also be in your medical decision making that you had to spend, you know, X amount of time going over the patient's new medications and side effects and et cetera. So you would have that in there to prove why it took longer. You just wouldn't want it to appear that now with these new guidelines, you're spending extra time explaining everything to all your patients. But we do expect there to be some shift. I think we were talking about that before. You know, part of this change was recognizing that some of the more cognitive specialties do spend more time with with patients, um, and they don't get as much credit as some of the more procedural specialties do when uh, they're you know treating their patients versus the proceduralists. Um, so. Wasn't that a little bit of the part of the the change was giving you know family medicine docs, pediatricians, internists more credit for the kind of that mental cognitive time that is being required for those patients? Yes, I believe that was one of the uh, reasons for going this direction was to make it more uh, recognizing that the skill sets needed to be in to do internal medicine, uh, family practice required a lot of one-on-one -on -one that they didn't always receive as much uh, level credit for. And kind of along the same lines, and we were talking about this before, what do we expect reimbursement to do based on these changes? Uh, uh, you know, some a lot of docs are worried that their reimbursement is going to go down based on these changes. Um, is there any any guidance out there about what, what to expect, depending on your specialty? CMS has issued uh, what their, in, their expected percentages of how, by specialty, 
if it's going to go up or down. For example, they expect that family practice internal medicine will go up. Some of the more procedural specialties will go down. But the overarching principle for what they were aiming for was to reduce the burden so physicians could spend more time with more patients, be able to see more patients without being bogged down with the documentation that was required for them to hit the different levels of the work they were doing. Wouldn't you agree, Jeannie? Yes, okay. because they're expecting, like for instance, new patient office visits. Medicare is expecting an increase between seven and 13%. And um, established patient visits, they're expecting to see an increase in, this is on in levels, between 28 and 46%. So specialists that bill higher level established patient visits will see the largest increase. But that's the shift that they're expecting. Okay, and so let's go back to, you know, so if the overarching goal is to reduce documentation burden, um, other than just not having to document as much of those history, uh, figures that we talked about, the review systems, how many elements, how many elements in the uh, physical exam. Are there any other major changes to the documentation that you need to make? Uh, suppose if you're going to use um, medical decision-making as your basis for billing, uh, what do you need to do to bill a level three, four, and five for, for that? There, there really isn't any changes. Um, they just clarified and defined the wording in the medical decision-making table better so it was easier to understand. Um, I, I guess the way that I would explain it to the physicians with the new changes is now your documentation is gonna be more clinical-based. So it's basically gonna be the physician or provider's thought process from the time that they go into the room to see the patient until the patient leaves, everything that you had to think of um, to get to the end result for the diagnosis and the plan of care for the patient. So that's all the physicians would need to worry about now instead of how many elements they need in each section. Okay, and then on the uh, time-based, what do you need to document in order to build three, four, and five? You almost basically need to do the same thing because your time, so if you bill based on time, that hopefully would be because maybe the risk wasn't there and you had to spend more time explaining certain things, but you still need to have the normal, the documentation that you would have if you were going to bill based on medical decision making. So that can help support why you had to spend more time and are basing it on the time instead of medical decision-making. You need to include how much time you spent with the patient uh, in your note, like an estimate? Yes, you have to state, yes, you have to state in your note how much time you spent, total time spent with patient and what you discussed and what you did during that time. What about if you do things after you finish your note, like? A lot of times I would send result letters to the patient based on their lab results or field phone calls later, or call consultants, things of that nature. Is that, is everything 
you know, I, I can't guess how much time I'm going to spend doing those things prior to signing the note. How, how does, how would that factor in? Well, you get credit for the time speaking to other physicians, um, ordering tests, referrals, and things, and things like that. So, depending on what, what it is, it may not count in the time. So do you think responding to patient messages and in baskets and, and that will not be included in the time, the total time. Unless you do it all in the same day. I mean, if it's, if it goes into part of your decision making, when you actually talk to the patient, yes, you could probably include it, wouldn't you say, Jeannie? But it's going yeah, to be difficult to include that in the same day's work. Right. So after the patient leaves, if you have to call and speak to the patient or do anything after that, you would have to prove how that was needed because you've already diagnosed the patient. Well, like, a lot of times lab results will come back. You, you draw it after you see the patient. Lab results come back maybe a few hours later, later that afternoon. Uh, there's something on the lab result. Um, maybe I need to adjust the med. Maybe I need to call the patient back in to have labs repeated. And so that's that a would long be stream of back and forth. Okay, so I could, I could factor that in somehow that I'm going to need to do five-ish minutes of uh, in basket per patient if I if that's my normal practice into that note. Correct, because in okay. your note before the patient leaves, um, yeah. you know you would have in your note uh, awaiting lab results. Told patient would contact them when they're there. Um, okay. So yeah, so then when it comes back, you would add that and then you would put that in your total time. So, so Jeannie, hey, it's Henry again. So in, in the original note then, it sounds like what you've, what you've asked Dr. Lancaster to do is to say at the end of his note, uh, say I'll be contacting uh, Jeannie Dean uh, later this evening with the test results to come back uh, to finalize this diagnosis and our treatment plan. Because that will help support why you're counting time after the patient has left. Okay. That helps. And it makes sense because you're you're using that time to treat your patient. That specific so, patient. So as long as you link it to that encounter with work that you anticipate doing in order to wrap up that diagnosis, you can then fold that time into the overall time you spent with the patient. Correct. On the, on the same date of encounter. Okay. So if I did a biopsy on someone and, and then called the patient two days later when the biopsy result came back to discuss a treatment plan, would that, would that, would that, that can be linked back to that first encounter then? Great. Yeah, you could not use that as time because it has to be total time on date of encounter. Hmm. So could I then generate uh, like a 9202 or 203 or something for that follow-up phone call to discuss treatment plans that may have been altered based on the biopsy results? Not unless the patient came back into the office. For well, a visit. About like a telephone encounter charge. Well, if it, I if that could be a possibility, yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it it could be. Um, most of the time, those do not get paid, but um, but the, you could that could be a possibility. 
Well, that was a, that's a good question. So um, does this apply to telehealth visits and things of that nature too? Or is this only in-person encounters? So the way I'll answer that right now, right now, telehealth is treated the same as in-person encounters. Um, I don't know that they've thought that far ahead because, of course, when they made these guidelines, um, we weren't in this pandemic. So mm -hmm. they could, there could be some new changes coming out between now and January due to that. And yes, we're still, still waiting on the final rule for the 2021. The final rule is not here yet. Okay. It, it should be at the end of November, but they're talking about continuing some of the codes as we are doing them now. But at the minimum, they will continue the evaluation and management codes that they've shifted to either telehealth or in person. The ENM codes will look the same until we end the pandemic is over or December 2021, whichever comes later. For whatever, yeah, whichever comes last. So, so let me ask you this. Let's, let's state now. This is this is great, Kim and Jeannie. Um, so let's say I, I've seen the patient. I did a biopsy, and and at the time of that encounter, as I wrap up day's work, I say the biopsy will come back on Tuesday, uh, and I'd like to schedule a telehealth visit with you, uh, strictly for time uh, with you, an appointment to discuss this and and the management. Uh, that the biopsy results will probably dictate. Would that would that then fall under like a, a a level two visit, which would be strictly time and it could be complex, fairly complex. Many of the surgeries required, a consultation is required. Would that then fall under that ENM? If 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 I'm now saying we have a new appointment, appointment is going to be in five days. But it would still be a telephone visit. It still would be a telephone call that's uh, related to the um, the visit where you did the biopsy. So you wouldn't be able to treat that like a audio-only telehealth visit. Well, Henry, are you talking about doing a telehealth visit where you would be on camera? Say you were to just to do a face-to-face -face on camera. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Jean, so it would be face to face just through uh, camera, Jeannie. So wouldn't that count as a as a E and M? It would as long as the insurance didn't um, say that it's included in the original visit because um, you know when you do a biopsy, the part of the process is is you will give the results. So I think they would kind of look at it that way. But, but I can look into it and then get back to you. But if it's just to give the results, I think they would um, try to to bundle that in and say it was part of it, unless it's something that's going to completely change your treatment. Okay, that, let me see. I think we can prove that it was needed. Oh, Jeannie, all right, this is great. So, Jeannie, let me ask you this. Let's say, because, you know, I was an OBGYN doctor for years, and let's say I did – um, did a, a cervical biopsy, and and we just we thought it was suspicious, but we didn't know exactly what we we're going to do with it. But I said, now I'm going to call um, you, uh, Jane Doe, back, and we'll discuss 
it, it may require that we get surgery scheduled. I just don't know today. So I said, I'm going to set up a, a telehealth visit with you so you can see the whites of my eyes when I talk to you about our, our treatment plan that we'll probably need to discuss at that time. And lo and behold, it's not a great biopsy result. It is going to require that major surgery be done. And at that, at that telehealth visit, I then say, uh, uh, we, need to, we need to get surgery scheduled. Um, and we go through risk benefits of surgery and the rationale there. That's become a very detailed uh, E&M visit. Is it still linked back to my original biopsy? But now I'm at, I'm at a decision point of management. No, I think that would be different because now this is something that has changed your plan of treatment. Okay, because just to let you know how this would service the patient better than historically. Historically, and the right thing to do is always to sit down with the patient, maybe the spouse and others, if you're going to be talking big surgery, and just walk them through what it looks like and give them a chance to answer plenty of questions. And in the past, we we would invite the patient to come back and have a, a consultation, if you will, uh, to talk about you know treatment plans. But if someone lives, say, in Grenada, uh, that that is very that may be potentially inconvenient for them, but yet you'd still like to have that consultative visit. Does this solve for that? <clears throat> it should, because total time can also be used for explaining uh, the treatment and care plan to the patient, the family, or the caregiver. And one other question for me, and, and I know we're running out of time, is. Can they still bill other codes in addition to these new E&M codes? So uh, any of the other codes we would normally be able to add on to that patient encounter? Yes, this is just um, everything, the codes that you choose, everything will remain the same, just the documentation and the elements used to determine these specific E&Ms are the only thing that is changing. I think that's great. Henry, any other closing comments? No, Jeannie and Kim, I, 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 I really appreciate you guys letting us do a little brain teaser with you on this new E&M coding process. Jake and I have really appreciated the time you guys have spent with us. And I know there's more to come, so thank you for your time today. We, we do have a uh, little advertisement that we've put together a training that will be available in HealthStream, and we will be holding WebEx training meetings for anyone who wants to log in, who uh, that or has accessibility to health, the Baptist Health Stream, so that they can have more of the nuts and bolts of what will go into different levels. That'd be great. I can add that link to the show notes of this episode so people can access it uh, fairly easily. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because we just want, you know, Jeannie and I do want y'all to remember that don't shoot the messenger. We are merely delivering the information to y'all because we want it. We want to make their lives as simple as possible. Uh, I've been in that this is a big change. This is a big change, but I think if physicians will look at it for what it's intended, this is a very positive thing for providers. Well. Thank you all for coming on. Uh, between this, the information blocking rule, the e-prescribing of controlled substances. The uh, PAMA CDS rule that's all coming out within the next year or two. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for them to, to continue to shoot the messengers. Um, but thank you everybody for listening to Right Care at Baptist. And please 
check the show notes of this episode to find the link to the CME survey. Thank you so much.